0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week... We preview the Big Ten with Dave Revson from BTN. After two straight seasons of getting locked out of the college football playoff, the Big Ten enters this season with much intrigue and uncertainty among its powerhouses. There are new quarterbacks at Ohio State and Penn State, new offensive coordinators for Michigan and Michigan State. Can Wisconsin rebound in the West? Behind Heisman Trophy contender Jonathan Taylor, will Nebraska take a big leap forward in year two under Coach Scott Frost? Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. And as usual, you can go to collegefootball.ap.org where you can read all of AP's college football coverage, and away we go. It's the Big Ten Preview this week on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, and as has become tradition, Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network joining me to break down the entire Big Ten Dave, how's your summer been going, and when are you getting on the bus to uh, tour the Big Ten?
1: Our summer has gone really well, but I would say it's in the past tense at this point. Well, uh, <laughs> we Jerry and Howard and I get on the the Big Ten Network bus this coming Sunday and start our 18 day tour of the league. Which I always joke, you know, the first few years I kind of try, you know, we're on a bus for 18 days, and you know, we stay in hotels and all that, but but. You know, I kind of tried to to make it out, especially on the home front, to be uh, a a burden. And and my wife was just kind of like one time she just kind of called me to the carpet and said, you know, let me get this straight. You hang out with Howard and Jerry for 18 straight days. You love those guys. You guys seem to eat and drink well. Uh, You (laughs) go to football practice. You love that. Uh, what's the hard part of this exactly? <laughs> just kind of, all right, filthy as charge. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's something I actually really look forward to and uh, excited to get out there. And, you know, I just feel like we get to know our team so well by doing that, by watching them practice, by talking to coaches. And, and so it's a huge advantage for us in terms of coverage as well.
0: Yeah. So we're okay. So you, clearly, you will know a little bit more about these teams in about a month or so. But again, you do your yeah. homework. So we have a pretty good idea of where these teams stand going in. And you're right; it's it's not quite a luxury rock and roll tour bus. I mean, you don't necessarily have like you, you don't necessarily get to like tell the the crew what color M and M's you like and stuff like that. You got you get there are some restrictions on this bus, or isn't there?
1: Well, it's pretty good. I
0: mean,
1: it's got <laughs> Wi-Fi. It's got satellite TV. It's got Refrigerators; it's fully stocked with food. Um, no,
0: I guess it's, it's great. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't in a rock band, so I can't say for sure. But, uh, but it's it's pretty good. Yeah, we uh, we we certainly have a, a, a nice little setup there, no the, doubt.
0: The last one I want to ask you about that: th- th- Are there any points during the trip where Donardo can cook for you?
1: Well, no, but. Uh, you know, we do when we're in Bloomington. You know, he owns a restaurant, and so we oh, often will go. stop at his restaurant. Yeah, so uh, so that so that's pretty good. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's she's well prepared on that front.
0: Yeah, Jerry's Twitter feed literally is helping me cook meals for my family. Like, I, he he throws his recipes out there all the time, and like I I will use some of them because you know. He's Italian and we went to the same high school, Jerry and I. I can trust him, you know? Like
1: <laughs> Yeah, no doubt.
0: Uh he's uh yeah, Saint Francis Prep, right? Exactly, exactly. Play, yeah. Played for yeah, the cool same, played for for the same thank you very much. Little Terriers actually. Uh played for Little the <laughs> played for the same high school coach, in fact. Okay. So let me jump into this. Enough uh traveling down Russo memory lane here. To me, the the overarching sort of theme in the Big Ten, well, there's two. I think because there's two sides of the Big Ten. There's a lot of interesting sort of uncertainty on what has been the power side of the Big Ten. And you have a lot of teams that are on the rise, uh, the power side of the Big Ten being the East. And you have a lot of teams mm-hmm. on the rise in the West. I'll, I'll start with the East. Because you know that might be the best division in college football with those four superpower teams up top in Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. And again, to me, I think the most fascinating part of it is all these teams have a certain amount of uncertainty going into this year in key positions. New coordinators, new quarterbacks, in Ohio State's case, case also a new head coach. Let me frame it this way as we get, find try to find interesting ways to get into these teams. Out of the the big power four all of which have some sort of uncertainty surrounding key parts of their team. Which one are you most confident that the changes will lead to success? The change in quarterback, the change in coordinators, the change in offensive systems, or the change in head coach?
1: Oh, wow. That is a great way to put it. I guess I'm most confident in Ohio State. I mean, not necessarily because of the change. I mean, you are losing one of the all-time great coaches in the history of college football. The guy went 83 and nine there in seven years. I mean, you lose nine games in seven years. Uh, do I think they'll be better without Urban Meyer? Of course not. Um, but do I think they can maintain kind of where they were? I'm most confident in them doing that. I, I guess I am. And, and the reason I say that, I mean, I think Michigan is like the logical Response and 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 maybe I should be saying that, but I guess I, I'm I'm kind of in the I'll believe it when I see it mode with Michigan where I, I and it's not I I feel like Jim Harbaugh has been unnecessarily and maybe unfairly denigrated a little bit. I mean, they finished in the top fifteen in three of his first four years there. This is not a you know this is a very successful, very good program, but they just haven't been able to win those big games, and and so I guess. In, until I see it, I, I, I think I kind of would lean toward Ohio State, even with all the uncertainty with everything they lost on offense. I mean, Haskins and Weber and Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin and, and Johnny Dixon and most of that offensive line. I mean, you can kind of go on and on. But I guess, and, and, and of course Urban, but I feel like their defense can't be worse than it was. It was one of the worst defenses in Ohio State history. I mean, statistically, you can make an argument it was the worst. And and yet you know they still won thirteen games and and so there's a ton of talent there and and I just feel like in, until Michigan proves otherwise I guess I just have the most confidence in Ohio State.
0: Yeah, that's I think that's a that's a fair way to put it because the, everything else in Ohio State is in such good order. Uh, it will be interesting to see what the Ryan Day Justin Fields relationship bears because Day is such a highly touted offensive coach and, and a guy who I think a lot of people believe was going to be a head coach somewhere soon. It just happens now to be at Ohio State, regardless of what have happened with Urban. And of course, the ceiling seems to be limitless for Justin Fields, but we have really we really haven't seen it yet because we only saw very small doses of Fields. I, I, I would imagine if I'm going on a bus trip of the Big Ten, the thing I'm most interested to see, if I can, even if it's only little glimpses at practice, is Justin Fields.
1: Right, and I would agree. Um, there is a lot riding on him because you think of how good Dwayne Haskins was last year. He got through fifty touchdown passes for goodness <laughs> I mean, it was just you know, to be thrust into that starting spot and and to respond in the way he did, taking over for you know one of the all time great quarterbacks in in Big Ten history, certainly statistically. So yeah, I mean, I. I no doubt. Those are massive shoes to fill. And Dwayne Haskins had the luxury of having been in that system. And so, to me, that is the difference, is is that Justin Fields hasn't been in that system. And so, can he kind of hit the ground running, for, for lack of a better way to put it, and, and you know, kind of uh, be effective from the word go, because uh, that is the challenge. Now, I will say this. I mean, Cincinnati's a challenging game early on. Uh, No doubt. But, you know, aside from that, they ease into their schedule, I Mm -hmm. think, a little more than than some others do. And and so, you know, you really have until four games in and until you have to be at your truly at your best and you have to be kind of cooking on all cylinders in order to win. So so maybe that's a slight advantage as well for them.
0: And I guess the other thing I'd be really interested to see, and again, I'm not even sure if even uh, the power of BTN will get you a glimpse at Michigan's new offense, the way they run things up there. (laughs) But, but Michigan has a new offense, and, and and you know, there's been so much talk about sort of unleashing Shea Patterson. This seems like it would be the perfect thing, right? Shea Patterson was a guy who, you know, has been running sort of spreads and. Since high school, like, you know, again, like if you want the the full potential of Shea Patterson and some of those weapon weapons like Donovan Peoples-Jones, wouldn't you want an offense that is most conducive to him? And we saw little glimpses of things that capitalized on Patterson's abilities last year, but now apparently they're going full bore, handing the offense over to Josh Gaddis. Do you think this could be a real game changer for Michigan? I, I guess I'm wondering how much will really see a difference if Harbaugh really does let Gattis basically say, okay, man, it, it's yours, do your thing.
1: Well, I am anxious to see that, to your point, uh, in camp and, and to see what this looks like. I mean, to me, they essentially modernized the offense. I, I think there's that, that's the best way to, to put it. And, and I, I don't mean to imply that what they were doing was antiquated um, because... I, I, you know, again, I mean, it's, it's been proven through the years. Uh, there's been a ton of success of, of kind of running that style, that, that more pro-style offense. But I just feel like the game has changed even in the last four or five years to the point where you have to have some of these no-huddle spread elements. Me, the question with Josh Gaddis is, you know, he wasn't the play caller at Alabama. Mm -hmm. And so he's, he's never been a play caller in his career, which isn't to say he can't do it. I mean, Ryan Day's never been a head coach. And and I just told you, you know, I have a little more faith in them. So I'm, I'm not just because someone hasn't done something doesn't mean they can't do it. And Josh Gaddis has been around a lot of really successful people and has kind of seen how it's done. But yeah, the first time you, you have to call that you know a really important third and three in a in a huge game is still the first time you've ever done it and uh, and so I'm, I'm to me the the jury is out a little bit on that on that hire although by all accounts you know a really impressive guy who people feel like is has been poised for a while to be in a spot like this. But I agree with you, it, it would be very conducive. It plays very well with Shea Patterson's skill set, you know, to be in that mill no huddle spread, to be a little bit more up tempo. And that's what Michigan needs. I mean they, they weren't a terrible offense by any stretch last year. They were second in the Big Ten in scoring. I, I do think it's important kind of to to point that out. I, I feel like for whatever reason the, the narrative is such that people are saying, you know, that the offense was was bad. It wasn't bad. I, I just think that it, it at critical junctures it, it maybe didn't it didn't serve them in the way that it needed to. You know, but ultimately the games that they lost were, were in large part because of, of the defense falling apart, not because of the offense's failures.
0: Yeah, I think to a certain degree people looked at that Listen, the Ohio State game was one of the more shocking, maybe the most shocking result of last season just because of the way it played out and considering what people thought about those teams going in. And 62 points later, you know, a Don Brown defense (laughs) is laying in, you know, just in wreckage or 63 points, whatever it was. But I think what even in that game, as bad as the defense was picked apart, I think there was an element for some Michigan fans of like, wait a second. We can't keep up with this. Like when these games, this is sort of the modern football, and every once in a while games will get like this. They will get sort of out of hand, and you just can't stop the other team, and we need to be able to keep up with this. I think to a certain degree this is what Alabama – had the, I think Saban went through this sort of evolution about four or five years ago where he saw the game changing around him in a way where he's like, I, I can't control these offenses all the time. So I'm going to need to build a team that can keep up in some games. And I, my sense is that's where Michigan is and that's where Harbaugh is. Like, I can't control these offenses. I need a mechanism for when we get into those crazy games, my team is able to win those crazy games. Because that's what college football is. Every once in a while, you're just going to have these crazy games.
1: I agree with you. And if you remember, Saban spent uh, one summer kind of lobbying against the spread offense.
0: Sure, right. right. So, the, the, the tempo he, offenses. He, 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 yeah, he yeah. Did.
1: yeah the, the up-tempo stuff and saying that it was dangerous. and And to me, that was fairly transparently him just saying I don't know how to stop this and you know I I don't know what to do with Johnny Manziel when, when he gets going and and then I think uh you know to to use the phrase, if you can't beat him join him with Nick Saban it feels disingenuous I mean the, the guy beats everyone but but kind of this notion that look this is where it's going and so you can rail against it and you know be Don Quixote against the windmills here or you can just say all right Uh, You know, this is what it is. And and we need to add an element of this. And I agree with you. I think that's where Saban found himself. And I think that's where Harbaugh finds himself,
0: too. So if I have Penn State and Michigan State as my two, you know, sort of powerful programs, and I said to you, Dave Revson, uh, you can't pick Michigan and Ohio or Ohio State to win the East. I'm assuming we're not going to pick Maryland Indiana or Rutgers which of Michigan or Ohio oh excuse me which of Michigan state or Penn State do you pick if I if I take away Ohio State and Michigan
1: I think I would pick Michigan State and, and I would do that just because uh well for a couple reasons because of things I like about Michigan State and some hesitations about Penn State so let's start with Michigan State, I think they're going to be great on defense. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, this is a team last year, Ralph, and it's crazy to think about this. But their last six games last year, they gave up five offensive touchdowns total. And they lost three of those games. Yeah. So you think about how good that defense was and, and I guess, you know, alongside that how bad the offense was. But and they have so much back. Defensively, They've got stars really at every level. I think that defensive line is going to be outstanding. Kenny Wilk is one of the best players in, in the country at his position. He was the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year last year. Uh, the Patashuk brothers are, are both really good. Raquan Williams is a stud up front. you got a linebacker, Joe Bocci, is, is an All-American type player. You know, so you kind of go down the line, Josiah Scott uh, in the secondaries, uh, uh, one of the better players in the Big Ten at his position. So, really, you just need to be decent offensively to to have a chance here. And they were awful. You know, they were 125th in the nation in scoring last year, which is just mind-bogglingly bad. So, what happened? Well, part of it was just the injuries. And and so, you know, you have eight offensive starters who missed at least one game. They scored 32 points in their last four games combined. And you just kind of look at that and say, man, they, they couldn't be worse than that this year. They have to be able to overcome. You can't have another injury year like that. Just the, the law of averages catches up to you at some point, and hopefully in a positive way. And I think they have some answers there. I mean, Brian Lewerke was a really good quarterback a couple years ago. You know But it, it's, it's silly to think that he can't at least get somewhere near that point. You know, Cody White's a big-time receiver. Daryl Stewart, these guys were injured last year. So I like a lot of, you know, to me, it's just can the offensive line be better. And, and Jim Bowman's back coaching that group, and that's really his area of expertise, as Marcus pointed out. So I think there's a lot of good – I think there's a lot to like about Michigan State. And then Penn State, I just feel like they might be a, a year away from, from being back there. I think they'll be really good. I think their schedule's really manageable early on, particularly for a young team. You know, again, they kind of ease their way into some of the bigger – and tougher Big Ten games. Uh, But they lost so much. The offense is going to be really young. I I think they'll be very good on defense as well. I mean, really fast, really talented. Uh, It's clearly the stronger. They're two units on paper. But I I just feel like they have a lot more question marks to me than Michigan State does because I I think a lot of what, what went wrong for Michigan State last year could be explained away with injuries.
0: I find Penn State pretty fascinating in that they've recruited so well the last couple of years and it's almost like the sophomores are taking over the team to a certain degree. The, the sophomores and the and the redshirt freshmen and the and even the recent freshman class which was so highly rated and you know we saw a lot of team a lot of players transfer out of Penn State. And that seemed like almost an epidemic, but, you know, this was the line that Penn State will give you. But I think th- to a certain degree, it's not just spin, it's true, is a lot of some of these upperclassmen who who thought, well, I could be a borderline starter, saw the sophomores and freshmen come in and thought, man, I, I can't. I can't keep these kids off my back. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get hopped in the depth chart here. It's interesting. I just matter it's guess it's just a matter of how quickly these guys develop because I do think that there's a roster, there's a core group of players at Penn State there that if they figure it out quickly, they could really challenge Ohio State and Michigan. I, I, I fully believe that this team has the potential to actually sneak in and win that division.
1: I hear you again. You know, you ask me, and I feel like Michigan State has the better chance to do that than Penn State. But let's look at it this way: I mean, Penn State has a lot going for them, schedule-wise, because you know I, I think the the Big Ten part of the slate starts out a little bit easier is the wrong word, but their their toughest games I think are in the second half of the schedule, so you get a chance to kind of to get better and figure it out early on there. Uh, I agree with you on the young talent. I mean, they have a ton of young talent. He is, incru- he is recruited incredibly well. You know, they did lose a lot of kids in the transfer portal, and, and most of these were guys who weren't going to start and, and I think saw the writing on the wall and, and left kind of along the lines of the things that you talked about, how talented the young players on this team are. But if you run into injury issues, I don't know that their depth is as proven as some others, and that's one of the big things that I'm going to look at when we go to camp is, is how would I feel about, you know, some of these second string guys because the injuries are just, you know, they're, they're part of the deal, but, but, you know, to me it is, it's those four and I think you can make an argument for any of the four. And that's what makes that division so fascinating kind of the way that, that you began our, our conversation. I, I agree with wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah. And then of course you have the, the other part of the division and we keep waiting for Will one of those other three emerge to maybe put up a challenge to that top four when you look at Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers, Maryland's going through a coaching change. They've had some, you know, obviously a tumultuous coaching change with what happened with D.J. Durkin and that team last year and the tragic death of a player, and now Mike Loxley comes in there. You know, the odd thing about Maryland is they've had so, much, so many issues off the field but Durkin had also done a fairly nice job of recruiting, right? So there was some there. There seemed to be some talent building up on that roster, but now you have some changeover as far as you know coaching staff. So you don't know how much they'll retain of that talent and how many guys fit what Mike Locksley wants to do. Indiana has sort of seemingly reached almost a stasis, you know, Tom Allen's doing an okay job, but they're good enough to beat teams that they're as good as or that are worse than them, but they haven't had, had many like big upset wins. And of course, Rutgers is still looking, looking like it's out in the woods. Let's put it this way. Of those three teams, which one has the best chance to make a bowl game this year?
1: I guess I would say Indiana. I mean, they've been one game away from doing it the last two years. I think their non-conference schedule, I mean, they, they absolutely should go 3-0, and like Ball State, UConn. And I'll say it's Eastern Illinois. It's, a, it's an FCS team. Uh, so, you know, and then, uh, I, I mean, the issue for them is their crossover games are, are challenging. They always play Purdue, and of course Purdue's getting better. They've got Northwestern and Nebraska as well. So, can you figure out a way to, to put together three conference wins? You know, can you beat Rutgers and Maryland and then win one more? I feel like there's a decent chance they should be able to do that. Uh, you know, there's interesting thing about Indiana some coaching changes there. New offensive coordinator, Mike DeBoer, retired, and Kalen DeBoer uh, takes over, and he did a really nice job at, at Fresno State. And, and, you know, so I feel like they, they probably made a pretty good hire. There, they're loaded at quarterback. They have three, I think, very reasonable options there. Jack Tuttle transferred from Utah I was a very highly touted kid. Peyton Ramsey, I thought at times last year played pretty well. Uh, the issue to me was the interceptions, and can kind he of cut cut down on those? And then Mike Penix is, uh, you know, was a really highly touted kid. So there's there's some talent there. Stevie Scott's a really impressive uh, running back. The, the weird thing there was, you know, when Tom Allen is a defense guy. And he, he was promoted from defensive coordinator, head coach. And yet the defense has kind of floundered a little bit, particularly last year. And so he made a change there. He, he took himself off as the, you know, removed himself as, as the defensive coordinator and promoted Kane Womack, who was his, his linebacker's coach. And uh, I, I think that there's a, I think that's a mature move on Tom Allen's part, this recognition of, even though, you know, kind of I've, I've. My bread's been buttered on the defensive side that I am the head coach and and I can't, you know, you're burning the candle at both ends and and can I really do justice to to both sides of the ball there uh, as the head coach and and this recognition that that maybe he cannot. And so, um, you know, I I applaud him for that move and and I think that's going to prove to be a a pretty good one for them. Uh, As far as Maryland's concerned, I guess there's just so many question marks. I agree with you on, on the talent. They really had built up some nice talent. D.J. Durkin recruited well, and when, when we were there last year at camp, we we kind of marveled at that, at, at how talented they were. Um, so it, it's not a stretch in any way to think that that could be a bowl team. I, again, you know, I won five games a year ago. Um, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that could happen again this year, but just given the transition, given some of the uncertainty, I think maybe I'd lean a little more toward Indiana there.
0: Right, and then, Gosh, and then there's Rutgers. You know, again, I think Chris Ash is still trying to piece some things together with transfers. I know that the administration there absolutely want to give him a long leash. I think that there are a lot of other things going on at Rutgers as far as building facilities and, and, and there's just... You know there's only so many things an AD can do and I think the AD right now is uh is, is preoccupied with other things and doesn't necessarily want to have to go through another coaching search because I think he feels like he's got a guy who can do a good job if he gives him the time. But the fact of the matter is Chris Ash is probably going to have to show some significant improvement coming into this year and we'll see if that happens. I you know I don't know what I, I'm not sure what success and progress looks like at Rutgers right now. Uh, There were some glimmers of it. Want to give me the optimistic look at Rutgers for this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I will say this. I think he has the right A.B. Pat Hobbs really believes in him, A, and B, understands how difficult a job this is. So I don't think you feel quite as much pressure as you would otherwise. But on the flip side, it's three years. They've won seven games. They've been winless in the Big Ten two of the three seasons, and they took what Certainly, statistically and record-wise, was an obvious step back last year. I keep looking at that offense and just thinking it cannot be worse, <laughs> and they—they yeah. they have, yeah, they've been so inept offensively. So the optimistic viewpoint I think would be they finally have the same defensive coordinator two years in a row, which doesn't sound like a, a big deal, but it's the first time in ten years <laughs> they've had the same offensive coordinator two straight seasons, so you finally have a little bit of continuity there. Art Sitkowski comes back. He had a terrible year last year, but he was thrust into a very difficult situation. Uh, McClain Carter from from Texas Tech comes in. He started a couple games for them, so this is a guy with some Power 5 experience, so I I think you you can't help but to be better at quarterback. Raheem Blackshear is a really good back and and a versatile player, so I think there are some offensive positives there where, where the they can't help but to be a little bit better. And defensively, they really weren't that bad.
0: I, I no, mean, they weren't. They were, they actually uh, hung in there pretty well against competition that was a little more sort of eye-to-eye with them.
1: Yeah, so I guess that would be my – that's where I would – I would if I had to put an optimistic spin on it, that's how I would do it. That I don't think the defense is terrible. Uh, they bring in Andy Boo, who's got a, a good background in the Big Ten. He, he was in Maryland, and then he and Chris Ash together. Wisconsin as well and so they're familiar with one another and I think are aligned philosophically and so if you figure the defense kind of holds steady and the offense improves a little bit then you know maybe you figure out a way to to win a couple Big Ten games and at least give yourself some a little bit of glimmer of hope there.
0: All right we will turn our attention to the Big Ten West which is maybe the most interesting division in all of college football just because I think it may be the most wide open division in all of college football but we'll do that with Dave Revson from BTN right after this on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast 10 preview here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast Dave Revson the great Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network he is a couple of days away from heading on the bus and doing a tour of the Big Ten uh, of the Big Ten teams we have gone over the East And the West, I think I can make a good case, and I think this has become sort of uh, the—I'm not the only one saying this. So this has become the conventional wisdom of the Big Ten West this season is I can make a case for any of six teams to win that division— Everybody other than Illinois probably looks like a contender. And I can even make an argument that Illinois should be better, that almost every team in that division, all seven teams in the Big Ten West, seem to have the trajectory of their program, the arrow, pointing up. Dave, I'll make a statement more than ask you a question. I think it's the most fascinating division in college football.
1: Well, I would agree with you, and I would agree with your assessment, too. If you would tell me at the end, that you're gonna be in Indianapolis the first weekend of December and again any of six teams is there, I would say, okay, I could see how that happened. I could see how Minnesota got there. I could see how Purdue got there, although again, you know, schedule's really tough for them. I, I think some teams have a, a tougher road than others do. And I agree on Illinois too. I'm I'm interested to get down there and, and see what's going on in Champaign. I know they're really optimistic and, and that's really all you can ask for, I think, in college football is this notion that, you know, Jerry talks a lot about maximizing your resources, kind of. Are you the best that you can be, kind of, given who you are? And I think the Big Ten West, you can make an argument that everyone is either there or, to your point, kind of trending in that direction. And that makes it really fascinating because no one in the Big Ten West has an obvious advantage over everyone else. I mean, there are certainly some programs that are historically stronger than others, And Nebraska would be an obvious example. I I think Wisconsin in the last 20 years or so, Iowa. So, yes, there are are some that that have a little more going for them than than others do. But I don't think it's such a huge gap that it can't be minimized by good coaching, by uh, fortuitous breaks, by injury differences, all those kinds of things that kind of play out during the course of a season. So, yeah, I mean, I think if everyone's doing the best they can in that division, it's a situation where there is no obvious favorite and, and that's kind of the year we find ourselves in.
0: I've had that same conversation with uh, Jerry Gennardo, by the way, about max. It, it is. And it, it's enlightening, especially coming from a coach because I I, yep. I very much believe in that too. And, and part of it is my conversations with Jerry about this idea that, you know, you sort of are what you are to a certain degree. And then it's just about maxing out. Illinois will, will never really be Ohio state, but what is the best that you can be at Illinois the thing with the West this year is, though, somebody's going to have to lose some of these games. So so somewhere in here, there's going to be a disappointing team, quote-unquote disappointing team. And somewhere in here, uh, there's going to be a team that probably is a little more surprising. Let's put it this way. Who are the teams that you think of as more of the, uh, what's a good way to put it, stable or more likely to be, to reach their ceiling, the ones that you feel a little more confident in that, hey, listen, they may not win this division, but I'm pretty sure that they're not going to be a volatile team. That they're going to have a good year and be in contention. Whereas maybe some other teams, it could be three and five, two and six in the in the conference. It could be six and two, five and three in the conference. Who are the more stable teams? The the ones that, the 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 sort of best bets to be in contention in the Big Ten West.
1: Well, that is something where I feel like the tool will really help us to kind of separate out and and figure out who who those teams are because again i do think a lot of it comes down to depth i think comes down to redshirt freshman contributing those types of things that that maybe i can't see from from my home in suburban chicago before i i get on that bus that being said i mean i understand the tenor of your question and I, i think i would say iowa to me seems like a pretty safe bet this year um not not that i'm you know condone i'm not suggesting one should bet on them but a metaphoric bet. <laughs> uh the only thing i'd say about iowa is i just think their road slate's really tough you know they have to go to michigan uh they have to go to northwestern wisconsin nebraska and then oh by the way they've to go to ames and take on an iowa state team where, where there's so much excitement around the, the development of that program so i don't think the schedule makers get iowa any favors But it feels to me like this is uh, this this is a pretty safe bet to be a very solid team. Uh, They got better offensively last year. Uh, They scored more than thirty points a game. They were, I think, their highest scoring team in in something like sixteen or seventeen years. Uh, They bring back an experienced quarterback in in Nate Stanley. Um, They definitely have some some talent uh, on the flanks. You know, Brandon Smith and Amir. Uh, Smith-Marset, if Oliver Martin uh, ends up being eligible to Michigan transfer, that would help them a lot. They're the only school ever in the history of college football to be able to say they lost two first-round picks of tight end. That's never happened before, <laughs> so I, there's an issue there, perhaps, but they uh, have two NFL tackles, and Alaric Jackson and Tristan works, so uh, I think offensively, they'll be really good, and you know, defensively, they were great last year. They do lose a lot. I mean, if you look at kind of this notion of starters lost and and coming back. But I mean, just for instance, AJ Epinesa who's on a lot of all American lists was not a starter for them last year. He does not count as a returning starter, but I mean, and a guy type of person, the big 10 in sacks and uh, you know, he's, he's a, he's someone you can obviously build your defense around. Um, I thought linebacker wise, they really surprised me last year. They had lost a ton and, and, you know, John Colbert came in and played really well uh, Kristen Welsh, Nick Neiman. I I think they'll be very good there. So I, I feel like Iowa's gonna be uh again, they'll be in that mix. I'd be very surprised if, if they were kinda to your point, if they only won three conference games. That would that would really shock me. I think Wisconsin will be good again. Yeah, yeah was I, was, I, was I last think...
0: year just a blip for for Wisconsin? I mean, they've been one of the most consistent programs. No, no program sort of knows itself and has an identity like Wisconsin does. Do you suspect last year was a blip for Wisconsin, or was there did it portend bigger problems?
1: I'd say yes and yes. Okay. okay, I do think it was a blip in that I don't think they're going to be a four loss team consistently in the conference. It was the first time since 1995 they lost four conference games all by double digits. I mean, it's been a long time since Wisconsin got outplayed in, in that type of way throughout the course of the season. That being said, I, I will say this. We came away. You know, they were number four in the country last year, mm-hmm. preseason. And we went to their camp, and Howard and Jerry and I got on that bus, and, and we said, that you know, this is not far and away the best team in that division, you know, far from it, that, that the division had caught up to them and it was pretty evident that that had happened last year. So do I think that Wisconsin is going to be year in and year out the obvious de facto choice in the big 10 West anymore? I do not. Uh, do I think that they're going to be consistently good year in and year out? I absolutely do. So I, I'm, I'm not trying to hedge it all, but I, I, I do think that, I want to say they've taken a step back. I think it's really kind of more what we we were speaking about earlier—that everyone else is kind of starting to figure it out a little bit. Um, but I, I do think there's some you know, some concerns at, at Wisconsin, and I, one of them has been the quarterback play, which just hasn't. It has—you know—they always have kind of had. Well, let, let's have someone who's um, kind of uh, isn't going to lose you the game at quarterback. A uh, game manager is, I think, kind of the way people phrase it in this day and age. Um, I think that's kind of always been their philosophy. And, of course, look, Alex Winnebuck went 26-6 and as their starter, but, but would make a lot of mistakes. And, and so they went out. Of course, he transferred to Florida State. Uh, Jack Cohn was okay last year, but they went out and recruited you know, Graham Mertz. And this is a different kind of, of quarterback, it at least seems to be. And, and based on the reports out of the spring and the very limited amount we were able to see from him during spring practice uh, and, you know, kind of what was available televised for us. Uh, but I'm really anxious to see him and and to see whether, because I think for them to to kind of be – this consistent winner year in and year out that they have been, I do think their quarterback play is going to have to get a little bit better. So, so let's see what he is. You obviously have arguably the best running back in the country in Jonathan Taylor, but you're only going to have him for one more year. Uh, and then the line, the line wasn't nearly as good last year as, as it has been. And that's with NFL draft picks up there, Michael Beater and David Edwards, Paul Benshaw was, was an all American four of those guys are gone. You do a Beatish back. He's, he's a, a really good guy to anchor that line with, but you know, there's definitely some cracks there in kind of that in, in their offense. And, and that to me was a huge part of it last year. And then defensively, they were good, but not great. And and when you think about, you know, what, what their standards had been historically here, recent history where this is the school that leads a big 10 in total defense kind of year in and year out. And you know, had led the nation in pass efficiency defense. For them to be kind of middling, uh, or, you know, above average, but but not great in those areas. I think it was disconcerting. And we saw that coming last year. You know, we were there for camp and they were moving pieces around. They were moving offensive linemen to defensive line and stuff like that. They they had injuries that uh, every injury, of course, is unforeseen, but, you know, unforeseen injuries that, that put them in a spot where they didn't have the sufficient depth that they needed. And, and so I think there were some signals that the defense wasn't going to be a, as good. Can Jim Letter get it back? I mean, obviously a very bright young guy with a tremendous pedigree. So that, to me, is is really the big question with Wisconsin. But I still think they'll be good. You know, the other, the other issue for them, of course, is the crossover schedule is brutal. I mean, they play right. Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State in addition to playing this the Big Ten West, where, as we've talked about, there's kind of no easy wins. So I, I'm, I still feel like Wisconsin's going to be a really good program year in and year out, and I think they will be this year, but I, I just feel like the tide has changed a little bit in terms of them owning the West.
0: Amazingly, the team picked to win the West this year, if I remember correctly, is Nebraska. And Nebraska was pretty bad for most of last year. Now they were bad. They were bad in an interesting way, and they were probably the one of the more interesting bad teams in this in, in college football for the first half of the year. In that you could tr- you could absolutely see reasons to think that oh, this Scott Frost thing is going to work out okay. Adrian Martinez is an exciting quarterback. They're doing some things offensively that should give you some hope. They lost some games in some crushing fashion, and then toward the end of the year, I mean, for a four-win team, it was maybe the most optimistic four-win season in the history of college football, certainly the history of Nebraska, where four-win seasons normally would have been considered just, you know, An unforgivable sin, but yet there's all this optimism about Nebraska. So I've been trying to steer away from just, hey, talk about Nebraska, talk about this team questions. But Nebraska is so fascinating coming into this season that you have this much optimism coming off such a poor year record-wise. It just doesn't seem to jive on one level, but if you watched it play out, you can sort of understand what's going on at Nebraska here. This could be a fun team and a really interesting year for the Cornhuskers.
1: No doubt, and I agree with your assessment 100%. I mean, they were 0-6 last year, but they were the best 0-6 team in in the history of college football at that point. So, yeah, I mean, it was a very strange year, and uh, certainly there were... Lots of positive signs. And I think the most obvious one was the offense was really good. I mean, they were second of the Big Ten in total offense. They were a big play group. They averaged six plays per game of 20 or more yards, which was the highest in the Big Ten. As you mentioned, Adrian Martinez gets thrust into this role as the starting quarterback, the first ever true freshman to start the opener at Nebraska and ended up setting a Nebraska record for total offense. So there's a lot to like there no doubt about it and and a feeling that this offense is going to be everything that you would expect a, a Scott Frost offense to be they bring in Wondell Robinson this year who I know people are really excited about and I think could be a, a dynamic player maybe along the lines of what Rondell Moore did at Purdue last year I you know they, they lose to Vino Zigbo there's some uncertainty at the running back spot but I just feel like you look at that offense and, and they're going to figure it out um, they're young on the offensive line, but I, I see that as kind of a positive. I think they had some good young talent there. The issue is, can they turn them around on defense? Uh, they were a bit better than they were in 2017. But, I mean, that's not saying a whole lot because the 2017 defense was utterly horrific. So can they take another step forward? Can they be a good defense, or can they be an above-average defense? And, and I guess I'm not 100% sold there. I, I do think their defensive line will be really good. Uh, I know they're very excited about Darian Daniels, uh, who's a, a grad transfer from Oklahoma State, and, and there was a lot of buzz about him at media days. I asked guys about him, and, uh, yeah, you know, he's, he's the real deal. So I think they feel like they're going to be much better uh, up front but, man, a lot of questions and linebacker, uh, I, to me, that's the biggest question mark on that defense. And then man, the secondary just wasn't really all that uh, – wasn't great last year. It, it was certainly better than they were up front. But, um, you know, a lot coming back there. So so if that group takes kind of a logical step forward, I think the D should be better. But that, to me, is, is the question. The thing that really helps Nebraska, and I, I think you can't help but to look at schedule when you make these – these projections is that a lot of their toughest games are at home. And, and so I think the schedule lays out favorably for them. I don't think it's crazy to think that they could win the West. I, I do think that it people are, are a year ahead on Nebraska, but, but again, kind of going back to our original premise, if they end up winning it, would I be surprised? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I think they have as good a chance as anybody of coming out on top. Would they be my pick? I don't know. I mean, I kind of need to, see what i see on on the tour but i understand why people are picking them
0: two third year coaches and jeff brahm at purdue a little bit of surprise that he is still at purdue after what happened last year the courtship with louisville uh but he's got some good things going on at purdue and pj fleck at minnesota i always i find them to be interesting because you know brahm and listen He's a good coach. I mean, he he is a rising star, right? In the in the coaching ranks, he gets sort of painted with the brush of like this sort of uh, offensive genius, whereas Fleck is more of the slogans and the rah-rah guy, more of the culture guy, right? So they, I think yeah. they're looked at differently. Where Brahm, wow, Brahm could be again rising star, and Fleck, I think there is a little more. Skepticism, maybe the wrong word, but I think there are people who sort of like, you know, not quite sure what to make of Fleck. But, you know, their first couple of seasons have been pretty similar. And to me, the the trajectory of the programs is not all that dissimilar. If I had to tell you, you got to pick Purdue or Minnesota this year, uh, Dave Revson, who has a better season, Purdue or Minnesota?
1: Well,. I think i picked Minnesota, but, again, just because of schedule. Right. I just feel and that's, like that That, that ties
0: got, into so much of the West conversation, the whole schedule thing. And yeah, we'll get back I, to that. I,
1: I think Purdue Purdue got a, a – they're in a tough spot. They painted themselves into a corner with their non-conference schedule, which includes Vanderbilt and TCU and then, oh, by the way, a road game in Nevada, which I don't necessarily think is a walk in the park. Uh, you know, crossover games are, are reasonably challenging. I mean, they always have the, the Indiana game – um, yeah, you know, they have to go to Penn State. They they do miss the the Michigan Michigan State Ohio State triumvirate. So I, I'd say, you know, maybe you feel pretty good about that. Uh, but I just feel like their their schedule's more challenging than Minnesota's is. So if I had to choose one or the other, I'd pick Minnesota. Um, but but I I think again, you can kind of make an argument for either one. Uh, I'll start with Minnesota. I felt like by the end of the year last year, they had gotten pretty good offensively. I think they're really talented at the skill positions, maybe to an extent that people don't totally understand. I mean, I under, you know a lot of people don't necessarily follow Minnesota football nationally, but uh, they had two stud backs last year coming back: Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks. Uh, these are guys who you know between them have nearly five thousand career rushing yards. I think they both ended up getting hurt, and they had a freshman emerge, Muhammad Ibrahim, who ran for more than eleven hundred yards and was second in the Big Ten in rushing yards per game and and really good, and now all three of those guys are back. They have four guys who ran for 100 or more yards in a game last year when you throw in Bryce Williams, who went over 500 yards rushing last season. So uh, at the running back spot, I mean, this feels like kind of Glenn Mason-era Minnesota football, where you just have a lot of guys that you can turn to. And then they have arguably the best wide receiver in the Big Ten, and Tyler Johnson, I mean, he is a big-time target. He had uh, a school record in receiving yards last year. And Rashad Bateman is really good. He set a Minnesota freshman record for receiving yards last season. Chris Hoffman-Bell is someone I really liked. They have Seth Green, who they use. He's a very versatile player. They use him in a lot of different ways. That I don't know exactly where he fits in. Is he a tight end? Is he a wide receiver? He kind of plays wildcat quarterback for them. So they've got a lot to like there. They've recruited well on the offensive line. The only real question is quarterback play. It was kind of mediocre last year, but it was two guys who were kind of thrown in the mix who didn't have a whole lot of experience. And so now they have a year more of experience. And, you know, Zach Anikstead and Tanner Morgan. And I think between those two, they should be okay. Morgan was pretty good down the stretch last year. And then the defense got dramatically better. They changed defensive coordinators. Uh, Illinois put out 55 points on Minnesota, which was just kind of the most staggering result of the year. Uh, they fired the defensive coordinator. Joe Rossi took over in the last four games. They gave up 59 points total after giving up 55 to Illinois. So, uh, I feel like they, they kind of found the solution there. And, and I, I like Minnesota. I'm anxious to see them coming into this year. They have, they have a lot, uh, coming back on, on defense led by, to me, one of the best defensive players, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country and Carter Coughlin. So I think there's a lot to like there. Uh, as far as Purdue is concerned, um, you know, to your point, people see Jeff Brom as, as kind of this offensive guru. And, and he did a very nice job with that group last year, Rondell Moore, you know, leading the nation in, in receptions. I, I found this amazing Ralph. He was the first ever true freshman consensus, all American in big 10 history. Which is pretty good. Wow, man, <laughs> so, pretty, yeah,
0: that is pretty good.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's some pretty good players come through the big 10 through the years. So, uh, they'll be great offensively. I, I, I still you know, I understand they lost David Blau. I like Elijah you know, He just had some bad games early last year. The knee has been an issue on and off, and, and I just feel like Blau kind of took the job and, and ran with it, but I don't think it's necessarily an indictment of Cindelar. He started nine games for them in his career, and I know they like their young guys, uh, Plummer and Sype, I, running back is an issue, and I, I'm anxious to kind of see what that looks like in camp. And I'm not convinced there's a solution there, like a really good solution. So they may be a little pass happy uh, this year. But again, I mean, yeah, really good receivers. Uh, Rondell Moore is, is the guy that everyone knows, but I really like uh, Jared Sparks quite a bit. Uh, they bring in the Indiana Player of the Year, David Bell's a really highly recruited guy. Their tight end, Bryson Hopkins, is outstanding. So uh, if they can pass protect and and that's going to be a concern as well, because the offensive line is uh, breaking in a lot of new guys. And I think that's probably that and running back are the biggest concerns on this team. Defensively, they took a step back, but they bring a ton back from, from last year. And, and I feel like they were kind of, they were caught, they were betwixt in between a little bit last year, that first year he actually inherited some pretty good defensive talent and, and maybe they outperformed expectations and, and now I, I feel like they'll be back to, to a respectable defense. So I like Purdue again. I just feel like a few more question marks, offensive line and running back, and, and then I think the schedule is more challenging than Minnesota's.
0: I think we need to remind people, sometimes I need to remind myself, that Northwestern won this division last year. <laughs> um, yes, they did. Yeah, yes,
1: they did. And yet, uh, here's what we're talking about, them.
0: right? Right. But, uh, no, I say this, and, and – I think, unfortunately, it comes across as a slight uh, with Northwestern. But when you talk to Pat Fitzgerald, you know, he sort of says this, too. I mean, Northwestern will always sort of have to thread the needle, right? They're never going to overwhelm you with talent. They have to sort of, quote-unquote, do the little things to win. They're always going to play a bunch of close games. Some years those close games are going to go in their favor, and the fact that they – Tighten up things and they run a tight ship there. They don't commit a lot of penalties. A lot of times they don't commit a lot of turnovers. They tend to win the big plays, right, as far – and I don't mean big explosive plays, but, like, those crucial plays throughout the game, they tend to win more of them. Uh, and that's what swings the the games in their favor. Favor Again, they play with a relatively small margin of error, and last year it worked out great for them. They were outgained, I believe, on the season, or they certainly yeah. were late in the season. That's almost impossible to have a great year while being outgained, yet they did it. I almost think that Northwestern could conceivably be better this year. Yeah, Hunter Johnson stepping in at quarterback, that is a... Something that you don't find at Northwestern, a former five-star quarterback, that Northwestern could maybe be a little better this season, but not be as good as far as the record is. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Okay,
1: so let's talk about Northwestern here (laughs) for for a little bit, and
0: let's just give people a little bit of perspective. Their last
1: 16 conference games, so this doesn't include the Big Ten Championship game, regular season conference games, they won 15 of them. (laughs) <laughs> their last it's 11 amazing. games against the Big Ten West, they are 11-0. and 0. Uh, Their last nine one-possession conference games, they have gone 8-1. and 1. Their last five overtime games, they have gone 5-0. and 0. So, I mean, you look at Northwestern and you just think, holy cow. I mean, to your point, Ralph, how is it that we are talking about them so late here? How is it that you ask me who I have the most faith in? Because this is is my fault, right? I could have answered Northwestern. I could have said, you know, other than Iowa and Wisconsin, or including Iowa and Wisconsin, I could have said Northwestern. But I did. And and I will say this. If you would have asked me who do you have the most faith in over the next five years that's going to be consistently good and that's going to perform up to their expectations and and be in that mix and all those different things, I would have put Northwestern in in that uh, conversation. I just, this year, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen because they did, to your point, statistically, there are a lot of things last year that, that they give you pause, that, yeah, they were outgained and you know, they're not an explosive team and they really had you know, very little run game to speak of and, and all those kinds of things where you look at them and, and you just say, well, they outperform kind of what they should. But nobody knows who they are more than Northwestern, right? They have a very clear identity. You Fitzgerald, this is going to be his 14th year And then, of course, he has so much institutional history at the place because he played there and he's assistant there. And he he knows the place. He understands the formula for them. So I I think, though, you know, I have no doubt that Northwestern, they are on really solid footing. They will be a very good competitive program here for as long as he is there. How good will they be this year? I don't know. I mean, they need to get more explosive. There's going to be a, there's a lot of questions around Hunter Johnson. Is, is can he step right in, you know, win the job in the spring? But that's kind of vintage Pat Fitzgerald, and that's kind of who he is. And so I, I don't read too much into that. I think they need to be a little bit better at running back. I know Isaiah Bowser took over and, and was pretty good last year, but he still averaged under four and a half yards a carry. To me, the big thing with this team is always the offensive line, and it's been very inconsistent. Uh, but I know they're really, really excited. They have a new offensive line coach in Kurt Anderson. Uh, the old offensive line coach ended up getting the, the Eastern Illinois head coaching job. And, and so uh, Kurt Anderson, you know, it was a. Uh, With Brett Bielema at Arkansas, they've already uh, recruited extremely well on the offensive line, including bringing in uh, maybe their highest-counted offensive line recruiter who's going to be going to sign in this next class ever. Uh, So I think they've made a difference there. And and just in talking to uh, the offensive linemen who – Was at uh, Big Ten Media Days, their center, Jared Thomas, he's really excited. He feels like they're going to take a step forward. That's the area where I've always felt like they could be good, and for whatever reason, they just kind of haven't been. Um, And so if they can be consistent on the line, I think they could be pretty good uh, on offense. They recruited very well at the wide receiver spot. I know they have a couple guys they think can – can step right in and be good. And then the defense, I, you know, as long as Mike Hankowitz is there and, and he's getting uh, along in years, and I think there is a question as to how long that will be, they're going to be really good. I mean, Joe Adam is one of the best defensive ends in the Big Ten. Uh, there's talk that Patty Fisher is a first-round pick in the NFL, a linebacker, and you have a first-round pick at linebacker, and he didn't even lead the team in tackles last year. That was Blake Gallagher. Uh, so, you know, their linebacker group is really good. Uh, I think they're very solid at at defensive back. I I think this is going to be a very good defense. But, again, their margin for error is slim. Their schedule, I think, is very difficult, and I think that's part of the reason that maybe you wouldn't pick them. Uh, They have to play Ohio State in the crossover. They host Michigan State. They've had very good success against Michigan State in, in recent years. But, you know, again, that's still a challenging game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, to me, there's no reason not to pick Northwestern other than I, I just kind of feel like maybe there's, uh, you know, the log averages catches up to them a little bit this year. But but if you're a Northwestern fan and you say, are we on solid footing? Absolutely. I mean, and, and then you throw in the, the resources they put behind the program, the facility is mind-boggling that they built. So uh, I, I think the arrow is pointing up in a big way. I just don't know if, if you said to me, are they going to win the West again? Uh, I don't know. They need some things to go their way, no doubt.
0: Okay, last but not least, and I'm sorry Illinois that we left you hanging like this and I have no interesting way to get into Illinois well I will I, I'll say this I think that there has absolutely been some improvement there I don't know if it's a make or break season for Illinois they've invested a lot in Lovey Smith Josh Whitman the ad is tied to Lovey Smith in a certain degree it was his first big move was to come in and, and get rid of the old coach and bring in and bring in lovey Smith so I think that there is a certain amount of leeway there that will be given Smith if we can just see progress right we don't need necessarily need to see leaps and bounds but if we can just see that we are continuing to make progress then we will continue on this path because stability probably works in our favor too if you're illinois but yeah again there's nobody else in the west where they can look at and say oh yeah we're better than them everybody in the west is still better than illinois so they're going to have to figure out ways to beat teams that are better than them
1: that was something i asked lovey smith at at media days kind of that in order to move up, you're going to have to pass people, and everyone's kind of doing things right, and, and what do you do? And, and he kind of agreed with that premise. I, I think there's still a belief that, hey, if, if we maximize, we'll figure out ways to, to beat people. When you win some close games or whatever it might be, uh, there are a lot of positive things. They have a new facility, which I know they're, they're excited about. Um, offensively, they improved by leaps and bounds last year. I mean, they went from last in the Big Ten in rushing to second. They averaged more than 10 points per game uh, above where they they had been the year before. Uh, They had brought in Rod Smith as the offensive coordinator, and I thought he did everything you could have hoped that he would do. He wasn't able to fix the passing game, uh, but they ran the ball so much better. And then Reggie Corbin's coming back, and one of the most explosive backs, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country, was second in the nation in rushes of 50 yards or longer. Mike Epstein's back as well. Rayvon Bonner, these are some guys who have had success through the years. They just have to figure out a way to to keep teams honest and and to throw the ball. And, you know, is Brandon Peters that answer? I mean, he kind of signed, uh, you know, committed late in the the summer as a a transfer from Michigan, someone they were excited about a couple of years ago. Does he fit exactly with what Rod Smith wants to do? I don't know, but I think he's a better athlete than people understand. Uh, And then, you know, they have a, a bunch of guys who were there last year who I think they feel like are getting better, Matt Robinson. And then there's this Isaiah Williams, who was a highly recruited athlete, had offers all over the country. Most people didn't see him as a quarterback. Illinois is going to give him a chance to play QB, and he might fit with with kind of that system. Can he be kind of a cool tank-type guy like what, what Rod Smith had at Arizona? So I think there's hope on offense. The issue is the defense was so absolutely horrific last year that you know they would have to improve significantly. To, to even be at a level of, of kind of acceptability. I mean, they gave up nearly 46 points per game in conference play, uh, 410 points, which was the third most in Big Ten history. Lovey Smith's taking over the defense. He's the new defensive coordinator, so it's kind of on him. Uh, they lost one of their most talented players in offseason, in Bobby Roundtree, a, a real tragedy, a spinal injury. So he's not going to be able to compete for, the, for them. And, of course, we, we wish him the best in his recovery. I just think there are a ton of question marks on defense, but but that's really what it comes down to. They'll they'll be good offensively, and, and they'll figure out a way. The issue is, can they get to a level of of competence on D, and and that I don't know. You know, the, the jury's still out there.
0: All right. So the way I'm going to force you. Well, I mean, there's only so much I can do to force you, but I'm going to I'm going to ask you <laughs> to give me a prediction on these two divisions here and a couple of other things in the Big Ten. I, You know, it is so fascinating to see the West and how much because I was going through this yesterday and even tweeting out some stuff. It's so you're so tempted to if you're making if you're in the, the business of making some projections, even if they're just for fun like me. It's very tempting to sort of just look at the schedules and say Wisconsin, wow, they've got three of the Big Four that Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State all on the schedule, so let's eliminate Wisconsin. And it, it it's tempting to just simply break it down by schedule. And if you break it down by schedule, I think that's one of the reasons why Nebraska is the favorite because they the crossover element of the schedule seems to favor Nebraska in the Big Ten West. So, but I'll ask you to make a couple of predictions here. Who's going to win the East? Who's going to win the West? Who's going to win the conference? And the biggest question of all is, will that winner of this conference or anybody from the conference make the playoff this year?
1: Well, you know, I always kind of cop out on this. Just no, I, I, I know. Like, I know. I know you're going to. You know, I, to. I, <laughs> I, you know I, I just feel like I, if, if you have the ability to see all 14 teams practice coming up here in the next three weeks, uh, you know, why we. <laughs> you know, it just seems like you're you're kind of you're kind of boxing yourself into a little bit of a corner because um, because you don't have all the information you have at your disposal at the end before seeing them. Who would I pick? I, you know, again, I I, I guess I kind of like Iowa in the West. I, I just I don't know. This just feels like a Kirk Ferentz year to me. But, but I, I again, I think you toss any of a number of teams. I, we'll go with six and a half there, and whoever you pick out, I'd say okay, yeah. I – I get it, but um, I don't know. For whatever reason, this this feels like an Iowa year for me, and it's kind of this is one of those years they lost so many close games last year, and I feel like what separates good Iowa teams and bad Iowa teams, or good Iowa teams and and average Iowa teams, which even a bad year for Kirk Ferentz team is you know a bowl game and 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 making some noise nationally, and beating a few good teams, but but the good from the from the great Iowa teams is close games and, and it didn't go in their favor last year. So maybe you win a few of those this year. Uh, you asked me at the beginning of, of who I have more faith in Ohio state, Michigan, I said, Ohio state. So I, I guess I'd lean in that direction, but again, I could be easily swayed by, by what I see in camp. And, and uh, I always joke, I don't make the predictions. I make fun of the guys who make the predictions. <laughs> so it's a good, it's a good spot to be in to, put all the pressure on jerry and howard but but that's kind of where i stand i guess going into the year
0: do you think i'll ask you this one and this will be our our wrap up here i kept referring to the to some of the saber rattling coming out of the big 10 as far as playoff expansion as working the refs like i, I don't know if we're close to expanding the playoff i i don't even know if In Jim Delaney's heart of hearts, he so desperately wants the playoff to expand. And now that will no longer be his job, by the way, in 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 about six months. So I I don't think that we're rushing toward expansion. But I do think that there was probably a concerted effort in the Big Ten to sort of get a certain message out that it would like to see the committee maybe – analyze things a little differently in terms of nine-game schedules and what that means, nine-game conference schedules and non-conference schedules and what that means for picking playoff teams. My suspicion was the Big Ten might have been working the refs a little bit. Do you think that might be enough to get them in the playoff this year?
1: Well, I thought Jim Delaney made it really clear at Big Ten media days that he does not feel as if the criteria for selecting playoff teams has been applied in the way that they said it would be in the way that it was designed. I, I think he made it very clear that he. That part of the reason that the Big Ten had encouraged its members not to play FCS schools and, and to schedule tougher non-conference games, and part of the reason they scheduled non-conference games was because it was their understanding that you would be rewarded for that. Now, you know, you could be a cynic and say part of it is a TV deal, and part of it is trying to drive attendance and, all those different things, and, you know, that it kind of, kind of comes back to money. And and I, I don't think that that's a – I think that's a, a viable argument. But I do believe that they thought they were doing the right thing by their teams to to do this, that this was the way that the wind was, was blowing. And if you think about when they announced the, the committee and they announced the criteria, all of a sudden there was this – this uh, you know, there were a number of teams that kind of rushed to schedule more challenging non-conference games. And, and the belief was that that would be rewarded in much the way that it's rewarded by the college basketball committee. But ultimately you do what you are incentivized to do. I think most, m- most rational human beings act in that way. And, and I think they have disincentivized the scheduling The the committee's made it very clear. They don't care. And basically all they care about is what's that number in the loss column and and if you have two losses you aren't getting in and and so i think that that was kind of the message that jim delaney was trying to to send at big 10 media days was you need to look a little deeper here you know think about the games that ohio state has lost in the last couple of years they were crossover games they were iowa and purdue if those games if you played one less crossover game and they were replaced by fcs games well then ohio state would have been in the playoff and is is that really the way that that you want to go about evaluating these teams and again you can say well don't go lose to iowa and purdue and certainly don't get blown out by them and i get that argument but but i do think that's kind of the the message that that he was trying to, to send and you can agree with it or you can disagree with it would they want to see eight teams I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you, you just have to flat out ask Kim Delaney or, it, you know, as the case may be now, Kevin Warren going forward here as to whether they want to expand it. But I think they want to see their teams. I, I think they want to see the, the schedules judged on their face and not solely by the one loss record. And, and that was, that was kind of what they believed was going to happen. That was how they think that the playoff was uh, conceived. And, and it sounded like what Kim Delaney said. doesn't necessarily think it's been applied in that way.
0: Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network, thank you so much for doing this. That was a lot of great information. Enjoy your time on the bus with uh, Jerry DiNardo and Howard Griffith. I'm sure you will enjoy uh, 18 days. You guys are out for 18 days on the road. 18 days. We have one day in Chicago uh, as we
1: transition between the east and the west. But, yeah, it's basically... 18 straight days, and uh, I would just say it is uh, among the most enjoyable 18 days of my year. It's really, really fun. I look forward to it. it. It's, I think one of the things that's great, too, is just how much fans are starved for it. And so when we start, to, you know, when the shows come on or even just kind of tweeting out stuff while we're in practice, it's fun to see the reactions of people and, and to know how excited they are because, you know, it means the season's here. It's, it's a pretty cool rite of passage, and I can't wait to get out there.
0: Well, enjoy it. Maybe, we will, uh, maybe I'll cross paths with you during your tour, and, and we will most definitely cross paths during the season. Thanks for doing the Big Ten preview with us. Dave Revson, you can catch him on BTN. And, um, again, have a wonderful what's remaining of your summer. Enjoy the tour.
1: My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Ralph. You do the same. Always fun to talk to you.
0: And now three and out first down. UCF made a little news by scheduling a home-and-home with FIU this week. The Knights have been steadfast in their refusal to do two-for-one deals with Power 5 teams, which has left AD Danny White open for some criticism. It's hard to lead a revolution against an unfair system, the current playoff, as Danny White puts it, when you refuse to take opportunities that other teams in your conference are glad to do. If you remember, Memphis recently, and USF especially, have grabbed a whole bunch of two-for-ones against prominent schools in Power 5 conferences. I say this all the time. Scheduling is first and foremost about finances, and White and UCF have determined that home and homes work better for what they are trying to build than the two-for-ones. And they get some pretty decent home-and-homes with Power 5 teams, just not the biggest of the big boys like Alabama or Florida. UCF can complain about the injustice of it all, but it's making a choice to bypass an opportunity to play games that could help a burgeoning program prove a point about whether it really does belong to be mentioned with the elite in the country second down i kind of like the idea of doing breakout players for each conference myself after i did it last week so we'll keep that up on this and the next few preview podcasts to set some parameters uh breakout player no freshmen maybe redshirt freshmen are okay since a lot of them are now playing four games we're looking for players who didn't make an all conference team last year and generally aren't popping up on them this year or at least on the First-team all-conference getting a lot of pub and hype going into this season. So in the Big Ten, I'll go with Donovan Peoples-Jones, the wide receiver from Michigan, who has been good but not quite five-star potential first-round draft pick good for the Wolverines. If Michigan's new offense under Josh Gaddish truly unleashes a more dynamic attack, Peoples-Jones, who has never had a 100-yard receiving game in his two-year college career— should break a 1,000 yards receiving on the season this year. Iowa has had a nice run of NFL prospects in the defensive backfield, and this year I think safety Geno Stone could be next up. He had four picks in eight starts last year, and this year he could be in line for an Amani Hooker-type breakout season. Third down. I think the Big Ten is the most difficult of the Power Five conferences to predict this season. I'm very tempted to go with Penn State, despite the unproving quarterback and all that youth in the East. But five conference road games, including at Iowa and at Ohio State, seems like a bit much for a rather youthful and inexperienced team. Michigan is the slight favorite in the conference, but the Wolverines also have five road games in conference. Though aside from Wisconsin and Penn State, the roadies set up pretty well for success for the Wolverines. Still, I picked Michigan last year to win the Big Ten, and that looked great right up until the point when it didn't. I'm not buying enough of an offensive turnaround at Michigan State to steal the division, though it would be vintage Mark D'Antonio to do just that. I can't pick the West champ to win the conference, but the race should be really awesome. So I guess that leaves Ohio State winning the conference and I think beating, I'll go with Dave Revson here and say beating Iowa in the conference championship game. Frankly, I have an easier time talking myself out of each West team than I do talking myself into them. I was this close to picking the team with the best schedule and just going with Minnesota. I might change my mind in the next couple of weeks before I put my predictions in print, but we'll go with Ohio State and Justin Fields winning the conference, beating Iowa, and I think this year, making the playoff. But again, I reserve the right to change my mind on that. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Podcast One and just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening, and come back for more next week when we preview the Big 12 on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.